This is Couch and Coffee Table. For this episode, I decided to do an Edgar Allan Poe double feature. The first part of the episode is The Fall of the House of Usher from Escape, as it aired October 22, 1947. I'll be back afterwards to introduce our second Edgar Allan Poe story. But now, here's The Fall of the House of Usher, as it originally aired on Escape on October 22, 1947. Are you upset with today's headlines? Worried about the high cost of living? Want to get away from it all? CBS offers you Escape. You are the friend of a man living in death. Confidant of a ghoul. Witness to a nameless terror. You are a guest in the House of Usher. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully plotted to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a gloom-shrouded moor and a house where dread holds sway. As Edgar Allan Poe recounts it in his famous story, The Fall of the House of Usher. It is with some regret, but I believe advisable that I identify myself only as a friend of Roderick Usher. Certainly the last and perhaps the only friend of that unhappy man. Having only one sister, he was the last male descendant of the ancient house of Usher. Roderick had been one of my boon companions in boyhood, but many years had elapsed now since our last meeting. And so as I held his letter in my hand, not yet opening it, I reflected with no little sadness upon the devious fates that chart our courses and drive old friends away from one another. But then a sudden feverish and nostalgic curiosity laid hold of me, and with fingers made clumsy by their eagerness, I tore open the letter and read, My dear friend, my need of you has so far outgrown my pride that I'm going to request a favor which I realize full well may involve considerable inconvenience to yourself. For some time past, I have been suffering from an acute bodily illness, illness intensified by serious mental oppression, if I may so call it. A horror which looms over me, a horror grown so great I dare no longer face it alone. And so, in all humility, and for the sake of years gone by, I beseech you to come to me at once here to the family estate in the north. Should events conspire to prevent your coming, then only God may know the consequences. Your friend in desperation, Roderick Usher. (laughs) 
And so it happened that at the end of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the middle of October, I found myself as the shades of evening drew on within view of the grim and melancholy House of Usher. I confess that the first sight of the house, the fungus-covered walls of stone thrusting their crumbling ramparts against the darkening sky, rising out of the sullen, sluggish waters of the black tarn at their base, the bleak and vacant windows staring blindly, the bone-white trunks of decaying trees, these things filled me with a nameless and desolate terror so that I reined in my horse and sat trembling, half fearing to cross the wooden bridge that led over the waters of the moat and up to the entrance of the House of Usher. Then impatiently I shook off this strange feeling of dread and was an instant later clattering over the wooden bridge and onto the courtyard. I dismounted quickly, tossed my reins to the silent lackey who approached, strode across the gravel, and up to the massive wooden portal, the door of the House of Usher. Good afternoon. My name I is... I know. You're the friend of Master Roderick. Please come inside, sir. Thank you. But may I inquire how it happens you know me? You have been expected for some time, sir. Yes, true. But also I'm a stranger to you and could be some other visitor. That you could be anyone other than the friend whom Master Roderick expects, sir, would be impossible. You see, no one else would ever come to this house. Then I followed his stealthy footsteps through many dark and intricate passages... My earlier foreboding heightened and was made fearful by the somber aspect of the hallways by which we passed. The many unused rooms reaching out with their vast emptiness like some hideous jungle creeper. But at length, we stood before the door of the master's studio and there the servant left me, departed and left me to go in alone. The man across the room, half reclining on the couch, his back turned toward me, did not hear the opening of the door. For the space of several heartbeats, I saw only the deathly pale and ghastly sunken features of a stranger. Then only with difficulty could I recognize, behind that mask, my boyhood friend. For surely, under light of heaven, no man had ever before so terribly altered in so brief a time... I said, Roderick Usher. Oh. Oh, my friend, my friend, you've come at last. Thank God you did come. Oh, Roderick, did you not know I would? Could you not be sure that no long years would ever dim the friendship we shared in youth? Hmm. So many things have dimmed. Ah, youth. It seems so long ago. But now you're here, and we'll find it, relive it all over again, every glorious moment of it. And all these shadows, all these gibbering phantoms that haunt me, they'll be driven out. And then the sun will shine again, and we'll be young again and relive... Roderick! 
Oh, but forgive me, my friend. My excessive joy at the sight of you after so many years drives me into a frenzy of talk. How many years has it... Oh, no matter. It is enough that you are here, here, and brought with you all the lost, all the happy days of my boyhood. But uh, I'd expected from your letter to find you in serious straits indeed. Instead, you seem in the best of spirits. You have the right to know. But in all frankness, here in your presence, I find it difficult to credit important to those things which only yesterday filled me with terror. Uh, true, I've been ill. A nervous affliction, something in the nature of a family weakness, probably. It has affected me with a morbid acuteness of the senses, such that quite often the least sounds and odors and colors become irritating beyond endurance. Then I've eaten but little, as you can see. But surely you've retained the services of a physician. A physician? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. He calls almost daily, though it is more often Madeline that he attends. You remember my twin sister, Madeline? For her, I fear, more greatly than for myself. Even today, she's taken to her bed, and I have no doubt will never rise from it again. Oh, a tragedy. The sympathies of my heart go out to you. Oh, but, but leave it for the present. Leave it to dream of all those happy days we left so far behind. Everything will be different now that you're here. Do you remember when we were 12? But the happy forgetfulness which Roderick found in my coming was short-lived. And in a few days, he had sunk into a morose torpor from which only occasionally, with frantic difficulty, could he reach the joy of our first few hours of meeting. More often, his mental apathy was broken by bursts of vicious temper and violent ill humor. Fits I could only excuse on the basis of his illness. And that illness began, in my mind, to assume a most mysterious character. Being unable to divine its true nature from Roderick's hesitant offerings, I took the liberty of questioning the physician a few days later when I chanced to encounter him in a hallway. Yes, yes, she's resting as well as might be expected. But she continues to decline. Is that not correct, Doctor? That would seem to be the case. And uh, the malady, the illness which has stricken her, is it the same as that which affects her brother, Roderick? I may venture that it is. Might I inquire the nature of this illness? As to that, I am unable to say. You imply, then, that I have no right to the information? Not at all. I am confessing to you quite simply, sir. I do not know what afflicts Madeline and Roderick Usher. And so a week passed. A week in which the sullen, leaden skies darkened into deeper oppressiveness in which Roderick's deathly pallor and creeping mental dissolution grew more apparent. A week in which the monstrous atmosphere of this ancient mausoleum began to crawl insidiously within my own consciousness, stirring into life a formless, unknown dread. Then one evening, we were sitting in the vaulted studio, 
while the first shadows of night began to flow together into pools of darkness. Roderick had been unusually troubled during the day and had been trying to find some solace by playing on the violin. Of a sudden, there came a knock upon the door. Stop it! Stop that infernal pounding, do you hear? Do you wish to drive me completely mad? Open the door and come in, come in! It's the doctor. Well, what is it? What do you want? Master Usher, I regret that I must say this, but it is my sad duty to inform you that your sister Madeline is no longer living. Madeline? My sister? Then she's dead? She breathes no more. Dead? <laughs> and perhaps, my dear doctor, you can tell me what caused her death. Unfortunately, I can only take refuge in the term heart failure. Heart failure? <laughs> ah, yes, eh? <laughs> of course. Very well, Doctor. If you'll be kind enough to wait, I'll come down directly and discuss the arrangement. At your service. I bid you good afternoon, gentlemen. Roderick, I assure you of my deepest sympathy. You do. Your deepest sympathy. The doctor regrets his sad duty. Are you fools, both of you fools? I, I don't understand. Haven't you seen it yet? Can you not feel it about you? The horrid, monstrous, brooding spirit of this accursed house. Can't you hear its evil laughter as it lurks in the hallways and grows fat upon the soul? My dead sister. Roderick. Can't you see that it matters nothing to me that she's dead? But I myself walk but a few steps behind her into the same shadows of hell. Can't you sense those hideous tentacles even now reaching out for me? For me, who now the last living, if it be living, the last living descendant of the accursed house of Usher. <laughs> Such was the passing of Madeline Usher, once living, now dead. And her very death, untimely in its aspects, bore to my trembling soul a portent of events yet more hideous, more horrible, and yet to come. At a later hour of that same sad night, Roderick came into my chamber to voice an intention so morbidly unnatural that for the moment I could only feel that his tottering reason had at last failed him entirely. Then you refuse? But, but, Roderick, this is madness. I tell you, before this night is over, the coffin body of my sister shall rest in the vault beneath this house, and if you will not help me, I shall do it myself. But... Why? Why? I could not stand to think of her buried out there in the dark graveyard, alone among the dead. Roderick, she too is dead. Mm, 
It's fantastic how little we know of death or of life. The doctor says she no longer breathes. She is dead. She was so lovely, was my sister. Roderick. I must keep Madeline near me. Nothing but evil would come of such an act. I can trust no one but you. Not even the physician himself. He hates us because he can't discover what it is that kills us. Even he might steal the body of my beloved sister. And he might learn our secret. You understand, don't you, my friend? Yes, Roderick. Yes. I understand. And so it came about, near midnight. We two alone made our way to an upper chamber of the house. And taking up the black coffin between us, in the shuddering light of candles, we walked the tortuous passageways, slowly descended the curving stairs of stone, passed beneath the moldy level of the earth forced open a massive and age-rusted door of iron and stood at last with our ghastly burden in a subterranean dank and musty crypt underneath the house of Usher. Over here, my friend, on these trestles. Now, a trifle higher with the head. There. Oh, may you sleep in peace and dream, sweet sister. From I who tread the same path soft behind you. Come, Roderick. The thing is done. Oh, wait. Stay a moment. We've not yet affixed the coffin lid. See? I've left it loose so it can be turned back. No. I beg you. A last farewell. No more. Look. Is she not beautiful? Yes. She was very beautiful. Was? <laughs> yes, of course. The look of her confused me. But do you not see it, too? The warm glow of the cheeks, the eyes shut softly, those lips half-parted. Does it not seem that she may rise up and speak to us at any moment? This gruesome place inspires those morbid fancies. Morbid fancies? That now dead she seems to live, and living seems already dead. Man, you seek out madness. You court it with your very thoughts. And if I do, what matters? What value can there be in reason without the hope of life? Dead, you say to me, she is dead. But what certainty? Why not with equal reason say instead she lives? And that I... I, the last of Usher, am the one who is already dead. I prevailed upon my friend at last to leave that mournful place. And so with grim finality we secured the ebon lid, took up our flickering candles and departed from the crypt, leaving it alone with its darkness and death. The ponderous portal closed behind us. And then my soul, for one brief instant, felt the dread and awful meaning of eternity. 
There followed then a week of such dreary gloom and melancholy that my own spirit quavered at the menace of the nameless thing enshadowed in that house. By perceptible degrees, the living soul of Roderick Usher flickered lower. More ghastly grew his pallor, more tremulous the extremity of his terror. The eighth day following the death of Lady Madeline fell upon the last day of grim and gray October and brought with it as the curtains of night descended the fitful breath of a rising tempest, uneasy gusts of sodden rain, and the sound of sullen thunderous rumbles born of the dim flares of sheet lightning somewhere behind the lowering pall. I retired at a late hour, but found sleep impossible. At length, overpowered by some strange presentiment of evil, I found my reposeful inaction no longer endurable. And so I arose, threw on my clothes in haste, and fell to pacing the floor of my darkened chamber. Then in one instant, a soft sound in the blackness froze my steps in paralysis of terror. The latch of my chamber door was being lifted from without. Oh, who is it? Who is it, I say? It is I, Roderick. Oh, Oh, Roderick, what are you doing up and about at this hour, in pitch blackness? Wait, let me light the candles. No, I am quite used to darkness. I heard your footsteps and knew that you must be awake, even as I was. But can it be that you've not seen it? I don't understand you. I've seen nothing. Then stay. You shall see it. Even as I've seen it for these past two hours. Wait, wait. I'll throw open the casement window. There. Look! It was indeed a tempestuous yet sternly beautiful night. And one wildly singular in its terror and in its beauty. The exceeding density of the clouds which hung so low as to press upon the turrets of the house did not prevent our perceiving the velocity with which they flew careening from all points against one another. We had no glimpse of the moon or stars, but terrible to behold, the undersurfaces of the huge cloud masses as well as all terrestrial objects immediately around us were glowing in the unnatural light of a faintly luminous and clearly visible phosphorescence which hung like a shroud about the mansion itself. You see, my friend, tonight the thing grows bolder, gathers strength from the storm and from the dead soul it's eaten. No, no, Roderick, you must not look at this. Here, I shall close this window and pull these curtains. And now, candlelight. Such darkness is the very mother of evil fear. There. Now come, sit here. Suppose I read aloud from some book or another. As you wish. I presume it matters little which. Oh, here. Here's a volume of The Mad Tryst by Canning. Will it serve? As you said, it matters little. I've always found the scene to be quite entertaining, where Nethelred dreams of fighting a dragon. Now, let's see. Oh, yes. Here it is. And so, Ethelred waited no longer to hold parley with the hermit who mocked him from inside the hut. But feeling the rain upon his back, 
and fearing the rising of the tempest, uplifted his axe and quickly made a hole in the plankings of the door for his gauntleted hand. And now pulling sturdily, he so cracked and ripped all asunder that the noise of the dry and hollow sounding wood alarmed and reverberated throughout the forest. Why do you stop? Why, uh, <clears throat> that's, that's strange. I, I fancied I just heard the very sound I read about. Let us say it was caused by the storm, pray continue. Oh, yes, the storm. Of course. <clears throat> but, but Ethelred, upon entering the door, was, was amazed to perceive no sign of the evil hermit, but instead a dragon of prodigious and scaly demeanor, which sat on guard before a shield of shining brass. And Ethelred uplifted his axe and struck the head of the dragon, which fell before him with a shriek so horrid and harsh, like whereof was never before. What? What sound is that? Sound? The shriek of a dragon, my friend, read on. I, uh, Very well. And now the champion, bethinking himself of the shield of brass, approached across the silver floor to where the shield hung upon the wall. But the shield, not waiting for his coming, loosed and fell upon the silver floor with a mighty great... Roderick, I tell you something moves within this house. That sound, it reverberated through the very walls. Can you tell me now you did not hear it? Hear it now? Oh, yes, I hear it and have heard it long moments, hours, many days have I heard it. Yet I dared not speak. But why? Do you not know we put her living in the tomb? I tell you now, I heard her first feeble movements in the coffin many, many days ago. And I, I felt then it mattered little. Now she comes to upbraid me for my haste. And that last dread sound. Yes, I heard it. The opening of the metal door to the crypt beneath the house. Now she comes here. Have I not heard her footsteps on the stair? Do I not distinguish the heavy and horrible beating of her heart? Madman that I am. I tell you that she now stands without that. Even now she opens it. There in the flickering light of candles, in the gloom and curtained doorway, stood the shrouded body of Lady Madeline. For one shuddering instant she swayed there. Then as Roderick uttered a single piteous cry, she fell upon him in violent and now final death agonies and bore him to the floor, a corpse... From that chamber and from that mansion, I fled aghast out the massive portal over the causeway into the night. Suddenly there shot along the path a wild light, and I looked back in heightened terror, for the vast house and its shadows were alone behind me. The baleful gleam came from the setting full and blood-red moon, which now shone vividly through a widening crack in the walls of the house itself, and even as I gazed, his vision opened rapidly. There came a fierce breath of the tempest. The entire lunar orb burst at once upon my sight. My brain reeled as I saw the mighty walls rushing asunder. 
there came a long, tumultuous shouting sound like the voice of thousand waters. And, and the dark, deep tarn at my feet closed sullenly and silently forever over the pitiful ruins of the ancient house of Usher. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and tonight brought you The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with Paul Fries as the narrator, Ramsey Hill as Roderick Usher, and Sheridan Hall as the physician. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. Next week... You are the victim of a poorer man... Pursued from the west coast of Africa to the west end of London by a dead man's head, which grins at you upside down. Next week, Escape with H.G. Wells' gripping story, Pollock and the Poorer Man. Good night, then, until this same time next week when CBS again offers you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. For our second Edgar Allan Poe story, here's The Cask of Amontillado from the radio series Hall of Fantasy, as it aired January 19th, 1953, here on Couch and Coffee Table. And now, The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden, down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted, and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of The Cat. Of a <laughs> Fools and cowards, Montracer. Fools and cowards. What I say about your ancestors is true, Montracer. Every last word of it. <laughs> that fat, dull-witted fool, Fortunato. That he should dare to insult the names of my ancestors. For that I swear, Fortunato shall die. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Cask of Amontillado. And now for our story. Adapted for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled The Cask of Amontillado. 
As my story begins, it was carnival time in Venice, a time of feasting and merrymaking. Fortunato and I had been celebrating with all the rest. Perhaps we'd indulge our taste for wine too greatly that day. But that was when it began. The day was almost spent, and we were standing in front of my house watching the crowd. Ah, yes, my friend. The carnival has been a great success. Through Fortunato. Did you know that it was one of my ancestors who made the plans for the carnival over four generations ago? What? Oh, come now, Montresor. You're not serious. <laughs> it's no joke, Fortunato. It's in the records of the family for any who wish to see. Ah, I cannot believe you. He was one of the foremost swordsmen of his age. In fact, all the male members of the family were renowned for their ability with a foil. <laughs> even you, Montresor? <laughs> yes, my friend, even Montresor. <laughs> with those spindly legs, you a swordsman? <laughs> Take care, Fortunato. What? You dare threaten me. How do you like it, Montresor? How do you like the point of my rapier at your throat? Fortunato. Please. And you fancy yourself a great swordsman. <laughs> it's so funny, Montresor. To look at you all white in the face. So frightened. So brave. <laughs> I do not know about your ancestors, Montresor. But you certainly have made this carnival the funniest in a long time. <laughs> a great swordsman. <laughs> I bid you a brave farewell, Montresor. <laughs> disappeared to the crowd. Though he was gone, the echoes of his spat laughing his face remained in my brain. The great swordsman. I went into the house and thought to see no more of him that night. Little by little, the remaining hours of the carnival wasted away until finally I heard the great bell striking midnight, marking the end of the celebration. I sat in the library reading, but the printed words refused to be silent and rearranged themselves into a likeness of Fortunato's face. My mind was playing tricks on me. That I knew. But of a sudden, a shadow fell across the pages. Hey, Montresor. Fortunato, how did you get in? <laughs> Don't be alarmed, my good Montresor. One of your servants was so kind as to allow me entrance. What do you want? Oh, come now, Montresor. You wouldn't refuse a good friend the hospitality of your house, would you? I forgot. It's past midnight. The wine shops are closed. <laughs> yes, quite true, Montresor. So I came to you. May I offer you some wine? Well, I hope you would. Yes, I imagine you did. Here, Fortunato. Yes, many thanks, Montresor. <laughs> There's nothing like fine wine. That's why I like you so much, Montresor. Why? Well, no matter what you are, your wine cellar is filled with the finest of wine. Thank you for your compliment, Fortunato. <laughs> but uh, there's one wine you do not have. That is? Amontillado. Someday I hope that you will procure some Amontillado. Amontillado is the rarest wine in all of Italy, Fortunato. Well, but for your friend, Fortunato, you might perhaps get some? We shall see, my friend. Now you were about to leave. <laughs> yes, Montresor, I shall leave. Uh, but before I do, pour me another glass of wine. I drink to the great uh, swordsman in your family. <laughs> you didn't lie to me about your family, Montresor. I know them for what they are. And that was? Fools and cowards, Montresor, all of them. What you say, my ancestor, should be well-tempered with thought, Fortunato. Oh, no, it was, Montresor, it was. Fortunato, if you... No matter. You're drunk. You're not responsible for what you say. Drunk? <laughs> I never drink enough to muddle my brain, Montresor. I mean what I say. Just the same. I'll excuse you this time. Why, excuse me? 
What I have said is the truth. I think perhaps you'd better leave. <laughs> yes, my friend, I shall leave. <laughs> but before I do, however, may I ask if you're going to the party tomorrow night? Yes, I am. Why? Oh, merely asking. Of course, Rosita will be there. Yes, I know. <laughs> Lovely girl, Rosita. Yes, I know. <sighs> I shall be going. Do oh, I shall accompany you to the door. Uh, no need, my friend. I'm steady enough to make it myself. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow night, Montracer. Yes, tomorrow night. Oh, and uh, what I said about your ancestors still holds true, Montracer. <laughs> oh, and Montracer, don't forget the Amontillado. I decided to let the insult pass this time. But if it occurred again, I would settle the score with Fortunato. The next night, I was with Rosita at the ball. It's a lovely party, Montrezor. Yes, Rosita, and with you here, it's all the lovely. You flatter me. It is deserved. Rosita. Yes? I've been observing you closely of late, Rosita. Indeed? Yes. And do you find me pleasing? Well, you know I do. I was hoping... Oh, well, here you are, Montrezor. I was in the balcony. I thought... You thought you'd lost me, huh? Well, listen, it'll take much more than you to outwit me, Montresa. I wondered where you were, Fortunato. Oh, indeed, Rosita? <laughs> well, of course I do not doubt it. Montresa is such a terrible boor. I do not make excuses, my friend. The whole family were boors, and therefore you cannot help it. <laughs> Can you, Rosita? Sure that I... Forgive me for bothering you, Rosita. I have come looking for you in the hope that I may have the next dance, Rosita. But I promise you... Don't let me worry, Rosita. Dance, dance with Fortunato. Are you sure you don't mind? Only too sure. Montresa doesn't mind. How could such a doll does he mind anything? Shall we go, my dear? Goodbye, Montresa. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Never did I think he would go so far as to insult me before Rosita. To deliberately interfere between Rosita and myself, too. I knew then that Fortunata would pay for his insults... For I hated him more than anyone else on earth. It was then I swore that Fortunato would die. Back now to our story. Adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled The Cask of Amontillado. I determined then to even the score, to revenge the desecration of my name, of my family honor. And immediately into my brain flooded a host of ideas to destroy him. What were his weak points? How could I catch him at a disadvantage? If only I could lure him down into the catacombs beneath my house. Few people knew of the vast subterranean caverns that lay beneath the house. But how to get them there? Let me see. Something he said might give me a clue. Something he said. <laughs> Fools and cowards, Montreza. Fools and cowards. No, not that. Something else. And what I said about your ancestors still holds true, Montreza. Montreza, don't forget the Amontillado. The Amontillado. The Amontillado. Don't forget the Amontillado. Don't forget the Amontillado. Yes, that was it. The Amontillado. The cask of a Montpellier. Wine drinker, was he? A connoisseur of fine wines, eh? That was it. That was the way to accomplish my revenge. A Montagliato, the rarest wine in all of Italy. Fortunato would die for a glass of a Montagliato. 
Yes. Fortunato would die for a glass of Amontillado. Accordingly, a few days later, I sent him a message saying I would like to meet him at his favorite place of entertainment with wine merchants in, of course. I waited anxiously for his answer. Yes? A message for you, Senor Montresor. From whom? Senor Fortunato bade me give it to you. Thank you. Good. Thank you for your tidings, lad. Here's something for your trouble. Thank you, Senor Montresor. Fortunato had agreed to meet me on the morrow. My nerves were tense and the time moved so slowly. I sat by the hourglass the entire night and part of the next day watching the grains of sand mark off the time. Finally, when I knew I could bear to wait no longer, the time arrived. Ah, Senor Montresor. Oh, good day, Peroni. I was just leaving. Senor Fortunato was over by the window. Confidentially, Montresor, I'm glad you're here. Well, he's had too much to drink. He is a destructive man. Well, I shall take care of him, Peroni. Thank you, Senor Montresor. Uh, while I'm gone, and if you want something, just call my wife. Uh, she's in the rear. Thank you, Peroni. Good day, Senor Montresor. So you come in, Montresor. Come and join me. I'm quite glad you could meet me today, Fortunato. I hope I didn't inconvenience you by asking you to meet me here. <laughs> Absolutely not, Montresor. If you had, I wouldn't be here. What are you drinking? Sherry. Will you have a glass? Yes, you can pour me a glass of sherry. Well, I assure you, my friend, it's the very best. Uh, there you are. <laughs> Excuse me, Montresor. I have a cold. You should take better care of yourself, Fortunato. Okay, it will pass. Well, then, tell me. What did you wish to see me about? Perhaps I'd better not mention it. Oh, come, come, Montresor. Don't tell me you wanted to see me for nothing. Well, I wanted your advice on something. Oh? What? You see, I have procured a cask of what is supposed to be a Montellano. A Montellano? Where? When? From whom? That I cannot tell you. But you see, I have my doubts about it. A cask of a Montellano? A whole cask? It sounds impossible. I agree with you, my friend. It does sound impossible. Perhaps I was foolish to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. But you were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. No, I can't get over it, Amontillado. I have my doubts for you. Amontillado! And I must satisfy you. Amontillado! I had contended to settle Casey. If anyone should know, it should be he. He will tell you... No, no, Casey is a fool. But he cannot tell Amontillado from from the common sherry. And yet some people say his taste is a match for your own. They lie. Well, that is a matter of opinion. Well, they lie, I tell you. <laughs> Lucchese is an imposter. I think I'd better be going. I'm going with you. My friend, no. I will not impose upon your good nature. I... You will not go to Lucchese. Montresor, are you insulting me? Why, no, Fortunato. I merely thought... I care not for what you think. <laughs> I will go with you. It is really your colds that I worry about, Fortunato. It is damp in the cellars. Very damp and very cold. It matters not to me. This cold is a mere nothing. But Amontillado... I must know if you've been swindled. Oh, and uh, Montresor. Yes? Forget about Lucchese. He knows nothing about fine wines. As you say, my friend. Shall we go? When we reached the house, there were no attendants present. I'd made sure that we'd be entirely alone. Before we go downstairs, my friend, let us fortify ourselves against the cold and dampness with some wine. 
The catacombs would undoubtedly make you cold much worse. Yeah, a capital idea, Montresor. A little sherry, if you please. Yeah, no, not too much, uh, <laughs> but not too little, either. I have no fears, Fortunato, my friend. It'll be just yeah, right. Yes, yeah. Let me have it. <laughs> ah, this makes me feel better. Much better. Have another glass, Fortunato. Yeah, no, 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 no. Please, yes, please. Well, on second thought, Montresor, <laughs> yes, I will have another glass. <laughs> I thought so. Here you are, Fortunato. Yeah, many thanks, Montresor. Drink heartily. Who knows, you may not be alive tomorrow to enjoy it. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, Montresor, how right you are. <laughs> what a sense of humor you have. <laughs> but I intend to be alive tomorrow. <laughs> but then, who can tell? <laughs> yes, who can tell? Back now to our story. Adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled The Cask of Amontillado. We finished the wine and sat talking for a few minutes. Then, seeing his eagerness was at its height, I led him to the archway that led down into the vaults. We passed down a long and winding stairway. At length, we came to the foot of the descent and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. Here we are, Fortunato, in the catacombs of the Montresor. Yes, but the castle of Montellano, where is it? It is farther on, Fortunato. Uh, see, the walls of this place are so dirty. I hate to be caught down here. How long have you had that cough? Uh, oh, it's nothing. Let us proceed. No, we'll go back. Your health is precious. You'll be ill and I'll be responsible. We might even become lost. Besides, there's always Lucasia. Enough! The cough is nothing. I shall not die of a cough. True. True, Fortunato. You will not die of a cough. I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, Fortunato, but you should use the proper caution. And there's a bottle of wine on the rack here. And just have some to make you forget the dismalness of this place. <laughs> yes, by all means. It's so damp and cold down here. Sorry, I have no glass to offer you. No, don't stand on ceremony, Montresa. <laughs> here, let me have the bottle. Here. Uh, this is the family crypt, is it not? Yes, this is the crypt of the Montresors, an ancient and honorable family. Yeah, well then, I drink to the buried that repose around us. And I? I drink to your long life. <laughs> yes, that's a good toast. In my long life. Uh, you know, Montresor, these vaults are extensive. What would happen if we were to be lost down here? I will not be lost, Fortunato. Still, uh, perhaps we should go back. And leave the Amontillado? Well, we could return another time. If you're afraid, I can always get the case. Uh, no, 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 no. Let us proceed to the Amontillado. After all, we shall only be here for a little while. If you insist, Fortunato. If you insist. <laughs> Coughing grew worse, but I said nothing. I could see that he was not quite so enthusiastic about finding the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt. Hey, Montresa, where is the Amontillado? The Amontillado? Oh, yes, in the crypt, Fortunato. I, I can't... Where? In that low crypt ahead of you. Why, it's just tall enough for a man of my size. Yes, isn't it? But, uh... I do not see the cask of Amontillado. Oh, but you will, Fortunato. You will. 
You wouldn't want to turn back now, would you? A man of your courage. I will not have it said that Fortunato is a coward. Now then, just where is the Amontillado, Montreser? Lift your torch a little higher, Fortunato. You'll see it. Where? Just inside this niche, Fortunato. Just inside. Why did you... Why did I hide it here? You forget Amontillado is the rarest wine in all of Italy, Fortunato. <laughs> You're wise, Montreser. Now, Fortunato, herein lies the Amontillado. As for Ducati... He's a fool. Amontillado. A whole cask of Amontillado. Yes, go in. Get to the Amontillado, Fortunato. <laughs> the Amontillado. <laughs> this rock is in the way. Put your hands up high and push, Fortunato. No, higher. That's it. That's just you should have seen the look of terror on his round face. He could barely move. The crypt was just the right size for him. Just the right size for him to die in. Then I began to work. I began walling up the entrance to the niche in which Fortunato was chained. Montfacer, what are you doing? Even a dolt can understand what I'm doing, Fortunato. Even a dolt such as Montfacer. Please, Montfacer, don't wall me up in here. I, I, I didn't mean the things I said. finished with the first tier of masonry when I discovered that the effect of the wine had worn off Fortunato. He began shaking his chains in an effort to throw them off. I'll get loose, one second. I'll throw these chains off and I'll kill you. Do you know good to shake those chains? They're strong, Fortunato. I made sure of that. My face. Look, I- I- I'll give you anything you want. Rosita, money a thousand lira. Anything at all. Anything. No, Fortunato, I find this payment enough. Montresor, please. Please have pity on me. Pity, Fortunato? You ask for pity? I have no pity for you. For the love of heaven, Montresor! His head was twisted over his shoulder, watching me as I piled brick upon brick. With each stone I put into position, his eyes took on a look of increasing terror and torture. He made little sounds in his throat. I continued my work. I had finished laying the seventh tier of rocks before I paused to rest. The wall was almost upon a level with my chest. Help me, someone! Help me! My face is mad. My face is trying to kill me! Help me! Anyone at all! Make shout all your wish. No one can hear you. Someone will know that you took me. Saw me. That's what they'll find me even if I'm dead. And you will be punished. Few people know of these catacombs, Fortunato. And those who do are my friends. <laughs> yes. This is a very good joke indeed, Montrezor. Who would have thought that you had such a sense of humor? But uh, don't you think your little joke has gone far enough? <laughs> we will have many laugh over it as we drink our wine, eh? <laughs> I will have many laugh over it, Fortunato. I don't think you'll be able to laugh. 
Montracer. Montracer. You can't be in earnest. So much in earnest that you'll die for it, Fortunato. Please, Montracer. events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We appreciate you stopping by and listening in, and we hope you continue to do so. Until next time, take care. This has been Couch and Coffee Table.